we did a bit of research about a year ago looking at the shelf edge and it, and our, over half of grocery retailers said that they lose 5 to 10% of sales to store operation issues, and more than a quarter of them lost 10 to 15%. There's just a significant drain of revenue by not having the items on the shelf when the consumer wants them. Well, hello there. This is Milena, and welcome to another episode of Retail Mavericks Podcast. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Hybury. Hybury is the pioneer in hyperlocal retailing. By combining artificial intelligence, operations research, and human centered design models, Hybury's suite of products helps CPGs and retailers generate a return on physical retail space investment. And today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Ken Fenya, the president of Coresight Research, a leading research and advisory firm focusing on the intersection of retail and technology. So without any further ado, we'll kick this episode off with Ken discussing major retail trends that have emerged in the last year and offering his perspective on the likelihood of these trends to stick around. I guess rather than go through all the changes that happened because of COVID, maybe it'd be interesting to spend a minute talking a little bit about the trends we think are going to stay and the ones that we think might go back to the way things were. We think that people were going to continue to spend time and money on digital and on digital channels. And that was probably the biggest impact of COVID, strictly speaking from a retail point of view, was the fairly rapid acceleration in e-commerce particularly in, in areas like grocery and home and home improvement that had, had begun to get into e-commerce but were lagging, frankly. We saw a really pretty fast uptake. You know, the, the in grocery, it probably doubled e-commerce, at least in the United States last year, and I think in other countries as well, we saw a strong growth in that. And we, we think that's going to stay. It may not grow at that same rate, but we really believe that people have made a transition to e-commerce in a number of these categories, and it's likely to stick. The second one would be around wellness. Probably the pandemic, maybe not surprisingly, has really sparked a, a focus on wellness, personal health. And for some of the younger generation, it, it, you kind of sometimes will hear it about the conscious consumer, real focus on what goes into products, the ingredients, uh, how it's marketed, how it's packaged, is it sustainable? You know, it also goes into things like the rise in CBD and other things where people are trying to find different ways to live their lives and be healthy. And the last one, which, which I think we'll probably talk a bit more about, I'm guessing, is around reimagining the store, given particularly that so many stores were closed at different points in the year. You know, what does that mean for brick and mortar retail? We don't know exactly when people will go back to work, but we do think people are getting a bit tired of being in their house. So we do expect that when people can, they are going to want to go back into work. They're going to spend less time in their house, which will probably have some implications for food and for home improvement in some of those essential categories. For a long time, we saw this whole growth in experiences and people didn't really want to buy physical things. They wanted to go on trips and they wanted to do boutique workout classes. And while that desire may still be there with a the pandemic, we really saw people shifting to buy things. So back to buying food at your grocery store and maybe buying some workout equipment for the home. We do see people looking again for experiences. We did see a real shift into essential retail, food, home improvement, drug stores and the like. 
and away from things like clothing, going to the movies. Likely revert itself. We do think people are going to want to get back out and buy new clothes and get out and do things out out in the world. So we do think that'll be one thing we'll see a shift back to the way things were, at least mostly were before the pandemic. So Ken, Corset Research is an advisory firm focusing on the intersection of retail and technology. Can you tell me more about the relationship between Corsite Research and Hivery? Absolutely. We're very excited to partner with Hivery. We work with a number of really innovative companies, and definitely Hivery fits into that. So we're doing a couple things. We're working on a research report as well as an event, really both of them focusing on analyzing the impact and the benefit of hyper-local retailing and category solutions. We've really found over time what's in the store and what's on the shelf is increasingly important. It's always been important, but as retailers try to differentiate themselves, really making sure that the assortment is localized and relevant to your shoppers is really more important than ever. And so we're really excited to partner with Hyvery on this research and trying to really explore what that could mean for retailers and what it could So, Ken, today we'll discuss innovation and latest thinking in retail technology, and we'll look at two major angles, how the store is changing as a place to shop and how it can support e-commerce. So, to start off, I will ask you a very broad question. What are your predictions as to how the stores of the future will look like? What major changes can we expect to see? So last year, interestingly, stores did not close at the rate we thought they might. As a matter of fact, the closings in 2020 were actually a little down from 2019, which was a bit of a surprise to us, just given all the turmoil last year, we expected that to go up. But that means we are predicting this year that we should see more store closings. So for this year, we're predicting there'll be 10,000 stores will close, which is the highest we've seen since we've been tracking it since 2012 and about 4,000 stores will open. It's certainly a trend that was accelerated by COVID, but it wasn't necessarily started with it. Like I said, we've been tracking this since 2012. It really, at 2017 is when we saw a switch from more store openings than closings to the opposite of more stores closing than than we're opening. I think the reason for this has been around e-commerce, and as the e-commerce has grown, stores have looked at their store base and have, have said, well, we may not need all of these stores and we need to invest in other things. And so, you know, we've seen a sort of a steady increase in closings and a decrease in openings. And we would expect that to continue. Overall, really, the U.S. remains overstored. There is a lot of room to rationalize the store base, particularly when you think that retailers across the board need to invest more in e-commerce. If you close underperforming stores, that's certainly one source of money that you can find to invest in some of these new innovations we think the industry needs. But if you look at the store itself, we see as the store of the future is using technology in a smart way to create a fundamentally better shopping experience. We talked a little bit earlier about localization and trying to use technology and artificial intelligence to make sure we've got the right product on the shelf. Because ultimately, you need a reason to go to the store. It's easy to buy things online. So why do people want to go to the store? Well, we want that experience of browsing, of finding something new, right? Something maybe they hadn't thought about. And the store really is a much better form for browsing than online. There are tools, we'll probably talk about them, that are trying to make it more exciting and more of a discovery process online. But 
the store definitely remains a strong browse form, and, and we think that'll certainly stay. There are parts of the store that are frustrating. If you think about checkout is one obvious one. We're seeing a range of new technologies uh, that are making the checkout process frictionless or more frictionless. Some of those are things like Amazon Go, and, and there's a number of other companies that are providing solutions like that, where you walk in, you, you scan your app when you enter, you pick what you want off the shelf, and then you walk out without ever going through a checkout lane. There's other things like scan and bag and, and the like that are adding other little less expansive solutions. Smart carts is another one we're seeing, but all of them make it just easier to shop the store. So using technologies to say, let's get rid of the things people don't really value. I mean, nobody goes to the store because they want to wait in line to check out. It's one of those annoyances you kind of have to do. And so if we can use technology to remove that friction point, it just makes it a more enjoyable experience and makes you more likely to go. We also think that there's a lot of room to use digital and online and offline. If you think about dressing rooms and interactive mirrors and dressing rooms and, and maybe in beauty sections where you're able to not only try on an outfit, but get suggestions for other outfits that might look good. You might virtually try them on. You can share it with your friends. Things that bring some of the things that are great about online, but bring it into a more in-person and uh, exciting experience for you. Shelf edge marketing is another one where we're seeing, you know, where you're able to get very personalized marketing messages and recommendations at the shelf, whether that's through your phone or whether it's through video screens that run along the shelf edge. We're seeing that in a number of cases, both in grocery as well as in apparel and some other markets. People are beginning to look at, you know, more than a store. While we have a store and it's a place you go and you buy, we are seeing retailers use the store. Think about the store more in addition to selling as an e-commerce fulfillment center. As you think locally, can I use the store to fulfill orders? We've seen retailers like Target in particular has talked about how they're fulfilling an increasingly large percent of their e-commerce orders at the store. And we do see retailers will continue to carve out space and deploy technology to expand that capability. Ken, you just provided us with an excellent overview of the most recent tech innovation and advancements that retailers have been implementing into their operations. Can you dive a little bit deeper into who is doing what to stay ahead? I think you're seeing a lot of the top retailers really begin to try to invest in these new technologies. There's definitely specific solutions. We talked about this just walk out, check out technology. But if you think about the underlying technologies, there's really a couple that stand out that are beginning to get used. One of them we've, we've talked a little bit about, that's the artificial intelligence. We do think it's going to have a pretty huge impact in retail. I would say it's at the stage where it's moving from really more marketing push or marketing language to actual real implementation. For a long time, people have talked about AI and, and frankly, real AI solutions have not been as widely deployed as you might think. I think it's, it's been one of those things where people will say they have AI. But this idea that I can now use artificial intelligence to make better decisions in category management, in demand forecasting, supply chain, we're beginning to see people really deploy it and get real value out of it. For example, there's a new way of using technology called prescriptive analytics, where in addition to just sort of figuring out, well, where's there a gap or where's there a problem, actually starts recommending solutions. So it can not only flag that you're short on inventory, but it can recommend how much to buy and where to buy it and automate that entire process. And so we're really beginning to see that 
that automation take off and people really beginning to deploy it. The second one would be around computer vision. When you think about an Amazon Go store, if you've seen it, I scan my phone and I can just pick what I want and walk out and it'll automatically figure out what I bought and charge me for it. That's all driven or largely driven by computer vision. And it's this idea that I can train a camera to understand what it's seeing. And then I can use that then to make decisions, to you know automate processes like we see. People have really begun to deploy this widely. Amazon Go-like technology, that there's a few competitors for it. We actually are seeing it deployed in real settings that are open to the public. So it's, it's beginning to move beyond tests. The third area I might flag is robotics. And so we see this coming in a few areas. One of them is around micro-fulfillment, which is a robotic fulfillment center that's small enough that you can put it in a store or you can put it in a dark store. And it really starts automating some of this, what's today a very manual picking process in the store. So instead of having some an store associate walk the aisles, picking each item that goes in an order, we can start having robots very efficiently picking, storing, and retrieving goods, you know, in a way that instead of having one or two orders picked in an hour by a person, we can start having 50 or 100 or more hours pick robotically. Those technologies are really coming together to push the retail industry ahead. And I think you're seeing retailers like Walmart, I think, has made a lot of investment in a range of these spaces. In the U.S., I think Walmart, Kroger, certainly in China, Alibaba and others have made big investments in some of these technologies, and you're seeing them deployed across you know, a range of their businesses. So we do think that these technologies are really beginning to move from this early adopter, let me test it out phase, to really being deployed in significant ways in a number of uh, use cases. Let's go one by one. We did touch upon operation technology, artificial intelligence, and alike. What benefits will retailers and shoppers see from the implementation of operation technology, particularly for shelf edge? A surprisingly large number of ways you can do this. Probably the most powerful that I've seen is from cameras that you deploy on the shelf and they can look across to the shelf on the other side. And so it gives you a real-time real-time view of what's going on at the shelf, right? Are, are people buying the orders? Are we seeing an out-of-stock? Or are things in the wrong place? Although that's not the only way. I've seen there's people who use robots that go up and down the aisle. We've seen people use cameras in the ceiling. There's even a company called Pensa, which has a sort of a small drone or blimp that floats around the store and, and looks down at the shelves trying to see whether all the product that's supposed to be there is on the shelf. But the real value there is it really reduces out-of-stocks. Out-of-stocks is one of being those perennial retailer problems. Surprisingly hard to know what's on the shelf. You might think, oh, well, retailers must know for sure they've got 10 items of Cheerios on the shelf. But really, they don't really know it at, given, at a specific time how many boxes are on the shelf. From a consumer point of view, means I could go in the store and want to buy something, and it's not there. Now, in the past, it just meant I'll have to come back for it at a later time. But in this world we live in with the internet raising expectations and the fact that I can buy from so many different places really starts raising the risk that people may not come back at all. The more I go to a store and the more they don't have what I want when I come, the more likely I am to switch to a different retailer. Being on stock and having the product when a consumer comes in is important. It's gotten even more important with e-commerce because the biggest frustration for people ordering online, particularly in grocery, is when they have to substitute because the item they thought they were going to buy isn't there. 
So these real-time visibility allows me to really understand, do I have the item? Can I commit to a consumer who's ordering online? They can get it. When the order comes, they're going to they're gonna get that item because it really undermines the experience when I have to have too many substitutions. I believe I've seen it that it's in the, the hundreds of billions of dollars of lost revenue and costs in terms of having to deal with out-of-stocks and planogram issues and pricing issues that you see at the shelf. And so really for the retailers to start chipping away at this problem, you know, it delivers pretty significant amount of revenue to the bottom line. We did a bit of research about a year ago looking at the shelf edge and it, and over half of grocery retailers said that they lose 5 to 10% of sales to store operation issues, and more than a quarter of them lost 10 to 15%. There's just a significant drain of revenue by not having the items on the shelf when the consumer wants them. I'm sure that a lot of consumers with new technologies like these express their concerns for their privacy. What would you say to consumers who are worried about their data being shared with other organizations without their consent? Well, we are seeing the rise of more privacy regulations, as well as some activity by players like Apple, who are trying to give more control to people to control their data and control how it's used. So I, I really do agree. It's an area that retailers need to be careful about. Computer vision is a great one to flag, right? Because you can do a lot without necessarily looking at the face of someone. You know, I can understand what you bought without knowing it's you personally. Are we going to be identifying people as they walk in? And then are we going to be tailoring offers or pricing to that specific person because I was able to recognize their face? I think it does really raise privacy issues. I think retailers are going to have to go above and beyond to convince people that that they're using this for the right reasons. Early in my career, I was at Kroger, and which is a large grocery chain in the U.S., and we did find that people feel that if you're using the data for their benefit, if I'm taking what the information of what they bought, and I'm doing it because I want to give you a better price, or I want to give you an offer for an item we know you're going to like, maybe I'm introducing you to a new item that based on what your preferences, you're going to really enjoy. People are fine with this idea I'm using the data. What they don't like is if I'm selling it, so I'm just trying to make money by selling it to third parties. And I don't think they like it if you're not using it for my benefit. So if I'm if I'm receiving offers, for example, for products I don't buy because I was, you know, the retailer was able to sell that to some third party, that's really where you're going to start undermining trust. And I think retailers are going to be really careful about how they how they manage the data and how they make sure they're being upfront with their consumers about how they're using it. Can you tell us a little bit more about what is happening in AI and AR retail space? Well, like I think we talked a little bit about AI, and I do think that you know it is something where we're seeing it deployed in a whole range of ways. Some of them are very much on the operation side, right? Demand forecasting, supply chain, but even on the consumer experience side, one of the things AI can really be strong for is getting behind purchase data. For a long time, we've used purchase data to try to personalize offers, right? I know you buy Tide, so I'm going to try to give you a Tide off. You buy a certain soup, and maybe you're going to want a different item from that same manufacturer. We've done that for a long time. Where AI we're seeing can really take you beyond that, though, is try to understand what lays behind that purchase. For example, there's some ways I've seen companies do with, with latent demand modeling. And the idea there is, even if I don't buy a product, I can start using AI to get a sense for what is my preference for that product 
And how likely would I be to buy it at what price? So maybe the answer is I'd buy Tide, but I'd be open to some other products for the right price. And how to understand from what I buy and what others buy using artificial intelligence, I can start predicting how likely I am to like certain products from a consumer point of view. It means I might actually get an offer for product uh, that gets me really excited. It's not the one I normally buy, but it's a product I consider at a price I'm really excited about. And for the retailer and the brand, it means I might find new customers for that product. The other area that's kind of interesting we're seeing in AI is, is going, in food at least, is getting to more of a taste profile. So if I think of all the products I buy and all the ingredients in all those products, people are beginning to use AI to try to figure out, well, what kind of flavors do you like? Are you the kind of person who likes new items and trying the latest and greatest? Or are you somebody who's really more of a mainstream shopper? And if I am going to try something new, you know, is it spicy flavors or maybe it's something that does more with color or texture? And by knowing that and getting deeper into the insight, I can start recommending now new items or even items that are in the store that you don't buy. And again, when you think about retail, one of the strongest thing a retailer can do is help me find new products. Something that I love that I never tried before, I never thought of. And that's one of those areas where AI is really strong at, at helping. Because you can start understanding the what's kind of lays behind the data and the obvious connections to give a deeper insight. And so I, I think there's a lot of exciting things happening there, which definitely leverages AI, if I, I'm getting into my two-letter acronyms here. But we're seeing that beginning to come into retail. If you think about going to a furniture retailer, being able to use an AR application to see what would that furniture look like in my house? Maybe I have a chair and I want to see not just the chair, but I want to see what would it look like in four or five different patterns. That's something where AR, we're already seeing it uh, be high value. Using AR for things like trying on different dresses or clothing or beauty items virtually, particularly under the pandemic, that's been a particularly exciting application because now instead of having to go to the store and try it on, you're able to see many looks all at once. You can play around, you know, let me try this eye color with that lipstick. And we're seeing those applications beginning to have real value. They've been around for a bit more with people experimenting them, but it does seem that COVID has sort of gave it a real spark for people to use it in a, in a much more aggressive way. We do believe these things will, will continue. We, some of them will be done at home. There's things I can use off my phone. And then some of them I think we'll see in the store. I think we may, we may have talked a bit about a virtual try-on room where I'm able to see not just the, the items I'm trying on, seeing maybe trying on alternate looks all at once, then ordering them either from the store or you know, ordering them to be delivered to my house, all within a very interactive experience. I think it's really exciting where it's going. I personally love the idea of being able to use my phone. You know, I'm looking for foods that are gluten-free, let's say. Can I just hold up my phone and point it down the aisle and have it flag all the flag in a certain color all the foods that are gluten free or or low in salt or whatever whatever dietary need I'm trying to pursue? I think we've really just scratched the surface on where it can go, and and I think it's a very exciting area for development. I'd say it's still fairly early days for it, but I think there's a real there's definitely a lot of opportunity uh, that'll be very exciting. Absolutely. So retailers are scrambling to reduce friction across customer access points, but specifically when it comes to the checkout process. Amazon Go has reversed the usual store experience, so instead of walking in, selecting your items, and then waiting in line to check out, now customers have more to do on the front end of their trip. 
such as download an app, enter their payment information, and scan the app to enter the store. But when they are done selecting items, they just walk out. And the chain has reduced friction by removing the checkout line, interaction with a cashier, and the need to scan and bag items. Since, what have retailers been doing to reduce friction during the checkout process? Well, there's been a few things. Some of them are a bit old school. Kroger is one that has been experimenting with stores that have only self-checkout. Just what you do today, you go and you scan and bag yourself. If you leave those to the side, there's a couple of innovations we're seeing. One of them is scan and bag. So if I use my phone, I can scan the items while I'm shopping. And then when I get to checkout, I just scan my app and I pay and I leave. It's not to just walk out, but it's, it allows me to have some control over it. From the retailer point of view, it's, it's a fairly low-cost solution, which is why I think you're seeing it pop up a little bit more. Second one is smart carts. Amazon is actually also has a store that's uh, experimenting smart cart called, I think it's, they call it the Dash Cart. And then Kroger Well is experimenting with a smart cart from a company called Caper, which is a startup company. And what those do is they're able to use cameras, not in the ceiling, but they actually put it in the cart along with some scales. And so then while you're shopping, you put an item in the cart, I guess onboard computer would automatically figure out what your item was and then tally it up. So then again, when you've done shopping, all you do is need to walk out with your bags because it's already tracked what you're buying and then you automatically pay through the app. And then I think the third way is this Amazon Go or this frictionless checkout. And that relies on cameras usually in the ceiling. Sometimes there's sensors in the shelving and the like, but that's a way that you can, again, walk in. The cameras will track everywhere you go. Uh, you don't need a specific cart, but you're able to go and they'll figure out, well, you know, I bought that bag of chips and I bought that sandwich and I bought that soda and that milk. And then, you know, I just walk out and it, it tallies up what I owe and it charges me. This has been one of the areas we've seen a huge amount of innovation. So there's a range of startup companies like Standard Cognition and Grabango and a number of others. Trigo Systems in Israel is one. So there's a number of companies really innovating in this space. An Amazon Go store was all built from the ground up. Those were specific stores they created with a format. A lot of the energy has been, how can I add this technology into an existing store without having necessarily redo the entire store, a new store uh, build out? Giant Eagle, for example, partnered with Gravango to launch an express store, which is a little more of a convenience store format last year, which opened to the public. That store is now open. Anyone can go in and shop. From what I've read from the press, they're planning on rolling that out. Standard Cognition, likewise, is beginning to go and deploy these. And so I think this is really one of those technologies that a number of retailers deploy and move beyond this, the idea of like, oh, I'm going to do a pilot. I'll see how it goes. Personally, I, I'm very excited about this technology. It may not necessarily work in every situation, but personally, I find it a great experience. I can just walk in, grab what I need and leave without having to wait in the line to check out. I think this is one of those technologies we're going to see it deployed a lot more quickly than maybe you think. It may not be next year or two years, but I think when you think of three to five years, I think we'll really start seeing this in a lot of settings, whether it's an entire store or whether it's sections of the store. You know, if you imagine maybe a retailer sets up a grab-and-go section in a larger store, if they're not quite ready to do the entire store layout. But this, I really think, is a technology we'll see kind of quickly becoming mainstream. So micro-fulfillment is one of the hottest trends in supply chain. The ability to get products 
into consumers' hands quicker than your competitors is the ultimate leg up. So not only it is a trend, um, but it's a strategy enabling today's retailers to decentralize fulfillment, create a better customer experience and redefine the retail landscape. And there are multiple ways to accomplish micro-fulfillment and each solution will look different depending on the needs of the retailer and their customers. What technologies can be used in micro-fulfillment? What types of retailers are a good fit? Places we're seeing the investment tend to be using robotics and sort of automation software to automate the sort of picking process. Uh, there's a number of ways you could do it. You know, some people use autonomous robots that are going and getting the goods and bringing it to a picking station. Some people use more of the a little more traditional conveyor belts and more of a fixed robot, which is picking the items. Some people use more of like a cube technology. They have sort of robots moving items up and down in a cube. In terms of picking, some people are still doing manual picking, uh, but we're beginning to see people do more of an automated pick. So even the robot brings an item to a picking station and a robotic arm use it, knows, can figure out how to pick up that item and put it into a consumer's bag. Picking in a store can be a quite tedious process. A picker in a store, and let's say a grocery store, can probably pick about two orders an hour, where we could do 50, 100 or more through robots and through these robotic fulfillment centers. Now, in some places, retailers are putting them in the back of an existing store. So they're taking some floor space that maybe is not being well utilized and putting one in there. They can be as small as five or 10,000 square feet. Some people are doing more dark stores. And then some people are deploying bigger solutions. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call what Kroger is doing with Ocado a micro-fulfillment center, but right, they're using robotic technology in a somewhat similar way. Certainly, the benefit of micro-fulfillment is this idea, I can pick more orders locally which means I can deliver them in a tighter time frame to meet consumer demand, whether they're going to pick them up at the store or they're going to have them delivered to their house. In terms of retailers, it's a great question. Definitely grocery is an area we've seen the most pickup for this, because I think because of the frequency of orders and the number of items and the fact that some of them are easy to pick through this robotic way, if you think of a box of cereal or a can of soup. We have begun to see, though, a range of other local businesses particularly in apparel, we've seen people, I believe I read that Nordstrom was experimenting with micro-fulfillment. So we do think this is a technology that can be more widely spread, and we expect to see it. This is an area where there's been a lot of investment from startups. Takeoff technologies, fabric have been two of the ones that have gotten a lot of press, but there's a lot of larger companies, Auto Store, Domatic, and others that are that have gotten into the space. Retailers now have a, a wide range of options and price points depending on what they want to achieve. And so ultimately the challenge with e-commerce, uh, if again, I'm sort of sticking with grocery just because of where it's been initially deployed. But part of the problem is that it's a lot less profitable to pick an order, whether it's pickup in store or particularly delivery, it's a lot less profitable for the grocers. And it's hard to think about how you'd make money if you don't figure out how to automate some of these key processes. And so we really see micro-fulfillment as, as a core capability that retailers are going to need to deploy to be able to make money at e-commerce and to invest in the business and the, and the customer experience. In the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that one of the trends that we can expect to stick around is we see people's affinity growing in relation to the usage of omni-channels and People are getting more and more accustomed to curbside delivery and click and collect. So what else can retailers do to support pickup 
and delivery. I think we are seeing some technologies deployed that can help retailers do it. So there's companies like Glimpse. You know, if you have the app, it basically signals the store when you're getting ready to arrive rather than coming and then having to call and then somebody eventually brings it out. These technologies start letting you say, hey, Ken's on his way. He's about five minutes out. Start putting his order together. And then Ken just pulled into the parking lot and he's in slot four. And in a very automated way, I'm able to come out, bring the order out. If I'm the employee, I get to bring the order out, put it in the trunk or hand it, however that's going to happen. But it can be a much more seamless process. And so from the consumer point of view, I can really just pull, roll up, have somebody walk out with my stuff and leave without that having to go in the store necessarily or, or having to call and wait for time for somebody to get my order. Second area is we've done some work with a company called Position Imaging. They have an automated pickup station. They're using computer vision themselves uh, that somebody can order something. You know, if I'm a store, I can put this in their, their center. And then when I show up, if I'm a consumer, I scan my barcode and then there's a light that shows me you want to pick the item in this bin and makes it very easy for me to go pick up my order, you know, and again, in a way that I don't necessarily have to find somebody from the staff to go find my order for me. I'm able to do it myself in a very kind of convenient way. The last thing that's kind of interesting that I'll talk about is sort of these automated kiosks. And again, some of these start using the robotics you see in microfulfillment, but they're doing it in a, in a kiosk that not only allows me to retrieve my order, but actually stores it in, in different temperature zones. So, you know, there's a cold, a frozen, and an ambient, and all those can be pulled together automatically through this, this sort of pickup tower, right? When I show up, I just scan my barcode, you know, it, it finds my order and, and opens the door and I pick it up and I walk away with it. So there are all ways that allow the consumer to have a bit more control over getting their item. And from the store's point of view, it means I can prepare that order and I can leave it for the consumer and then not have to definitely deal with it again. Because what happens today is I pick the order, I've got to put it in the frozen stuff in the frozen section, the refrigerated stuff in the refrigerated section. And then when the consumer shows up, I have to go scrambling to go pick all those things and find them. Um, so it's really something that, that makes it much more operationally efficient, uh, but from the consumer point of view, it makes it a lot better experience. We do expect to see investments continue in that area to make it even more seamless and, and quicker. You know, along with it, I will mention, in addition to the pickup and store, another area we're seeing a lot of innovation is around the local delivery. You're seeing people experiment with autonomous vehicles. Instead of having to go to the store or having a human deliver it, I can have this autonomous vehicle drive to my house, and then I can go get my order and bring it in. The value is that there it does reduce the cost. I mean, delivery can be very expensive. So I might never able to use an autonomous vehicle or like, let's say, a robot that can go within a few miles of the store that have, can have a lot of value. You know, there's a company that actually just got announced. Uh, there's a company called Tortoise that just announced a pilot with Albertson. And that Tortoise is actually a cart. If you think about a, a small scooter uh, that has a, a cargo hold that can hold up to, I think, 100 pounds of groceries. It's actually remote controlled from a control center, I think, in Mexico City. And so the idea is we can actually control it, take it from the store to somebody's house, let's say within a few miles of the store, and very efficiently have somebody get their groceries and then drive it back. And because these are sort of small scooters, they really don't use a lot of energy. And so it can be both green as well as cost effective to, uh, to do delivery. And so it's really an, an area that last mile is really an area we're seeing a ton of innovation. Yeah, absolutely. 
I read an article that says that only 1% of consumers is actually willing to pay extra to get their groceries delivered. In turn, retailers have to assume that burden and cover for those costs. So ultimately, delivery becomes very unprofitable. So I think it's absolutely an area that retailers will pay very close attention to. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's totally true. It's like everyone wants it fast, but they don't really want to pay for it. I think that's why you've seen pickup, curbside and pickup is popular because generally retailers don't charge for it. So you're able just to go and get it. I mean, ultimately, automation is critical, whether it's in fulfillment, right, for the picking or whether it's in the delivery. As it stands right now, it's just too expensive to hire more and more people to do that. In the short term, it's been a way of scaling up e-commerce. And so it's made sense in the short term. But longer term, I think you're going to see these investments in automation and last mile delivery are going to be really important to help retailers make this not just a big business, but a profitable one as well. Ken, I really appreciate you taking the time to answer all of my questions today. And to finish our conversation off, I would like to ask you one last question. What do you wish you were asked more often? You know, I think actually, you know, a question that doesn't come up a lot, but I think we're spending a lot of time on how can retailers do more for themselves, but also for society and the community around them. And we talk a lot about this idea of doing well by doing good, um, but we really think it's a missed opportunity for a lot of retailers. And so, you know, when you think about sustainability, you know, we're seeing a lot of efforts and in potential opportunities in diversity and inclusion. We particularly have, have as, as Coresight, has spent a lot of time looking at the adaptive market. So how can you make clothes and other items that are, you know, that are sort of designed for people who need more help or have different disabilities where they're looking for clothing that are tailored just for them. And so we're really thinking that retail has a real opportunity to really help society and do good. We think of the environment, you know, investments in sustainability. They can really help your bottom line, but ultimately they're good for our environment, good for the country, good for people. That's an area where I don't think we always get a lot of direct questions. It may sometimes come up, but it's an area we're pretty passionate about and I personally am. And I think it's great when we get questions in there because it really gives an opportunity to think broader about what role retail can play in society and how we can be more than just a place where you can get the items you want. We can serve a broader purpose as well. Thank you for listening until the end of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you are interested in learning more about the use of artificial intelligence in retail space, listen to one of our previous episodes featuring Mark Lawrenson about optimization methods. If you want to learn more about Hybrid solutions and find out how planograms can be developed in seconds, you can now request a demo via demo at hybrid.com. And till the next time, everyone.